Earth 2, a world much like our own, yet slightly different. There, young and old have joined forces to battle evil, the newest heroes joining the champions of the Golden Age, presenting Tales of the Justice Society of America. and welcome back to Tales of the Justice Society of America. I am Michael Bailey. And I'm Kathleen Quinlan. I've never thought of you as hot, but <laughs> if you're going to introduce yourself as such, it may change the... Di- oh, okay, we're going to skip all that, because that's going down a broke-back brownstone <laughs> uh, kind of... Uh, kind of thing and I don't really want to want to go down there. We uh we've got an interesting episode for you this week as it's 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 not a traditional tales uh episode by any stretch of the imagination, especially with the story that we're talking See, about. See, now you're going to go and make them all nervous and everything cuz anytime oh. I have ever listened to a podcast that start off, we have an interesting episode for you. What it translates to is this episode's kind of going to suck. And that's not going to be the case, goddammit. We don't do sucky episodes on this show. We do awesome episodes every single show. Um, yes, indeed. Wow. You, <laughs> you ate, did you eat a lot of sugar before coming on to the no, show? I, no, I don't, I don't touch the stuff, man. <laughs> pure <laughs> crack, my friend. Pure crack. Uh, before we get into our first email, I do want to mention I, I was out with my wife uh, last Saturday, which... Uh, was the day before Valentine's Day because I was working that day, so we couldn't have the have that day to go out. And um, we went to uh, Noonan uh, to eat at the Red Lobster. Had a very nice meal, but then <laughs> we, we went, went to over Noonan on Sunday. That's weird. <laughs> uh, and we went over to the Walmart because my wife was looking for uh, for a classic controller for our Wii. And uh, it was a really bad idea because the the Walmart Noonan is like a demilitarized zone. Man. Yeah, but I, I of course went to the toy aisle and was very pleasantly to, surprised to find the most bad. Dude, that's where I saw him. Oh man, this yeah. is so freaky. Yeah, because you you <laughs> we were talking on the phone earlier today, and you said something about yes. yeah, you know, in the next tales that we do, I, I want to mention something about the figures, and I was like, yeah, I just saw the the Doctor uh, Midnight, and you were like, yeah, I saw the, do-. and it turns out we both saw them at the same place a day apart. Now, how <laughs> freaky is that? <laughs> That is oh my god, that is super bizarre, dude. But uh, no, I, I was shocked to see it. You know, the, the 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 Mattel DC line has been interesting since they really committed to it. Mm-hmm. Because the first couple of lines of action figures, which I, I bought a lot of the Superman ones, were good. But when they started to ape the Marvel Legends format... Right. That's when that line got really good. Mm-hmm. And they have this whole 75 years of DC uh, uh, subset, and one of them was, my God, it's one of the nicest Dr. Midnight figures I have ever yeah. seen. Even has, uh, what's the owl's name? Uh, Oops. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Something like that? We should know that, because we do a JSA podcast. <laughs> ah, but. shit, we don't do any research. <laughs> 
on this show. <laughs> no, but 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 I saw that, and and my wife goes, "Woodsy, it's Woodsy yeah, Owl. That's it, Woodsy, Woodsy Owl." He says, "Give a hoot, don't pollute." That's the one. <laughs> but my wife looked at me. and She says, "Do you want it?" And I said, "Yes, but I'm not going to get it because if I get this, then I'm going to track down all of the JSA figures because you can't have just one." can't have like that random dr midnight figure that doesn't make it i have sense. a random dr fate figure yeah but dr fate kind of works on his own yeah, and with a he's a loner. You know? yeah he's a he's a loner doc, a <laughs> rebel uh but no i wanted to and, and they also had a power girl figure and a black canary figure now, do you like the power girl one because i didn't think she was all that no. much really no i i was it's more of the current power girl yeah uh, which isn't a bad design. Well, I mean, just let me idea. ask. I've just got to know this, and I'm sorry. I'm just going to be plain upfront about it and ask point blank: Is Power Girl a dyke? No, I don't think she sure as hell looks and acts like one. Is why I ask. Yeah, but didn't she want to like jump Hal Jordan when they were in Justice League Europe together? And I think she almost uh-huh. had a thing with Aquaman. Yeah, but too, that that's so. going back a ways. I'm talking like modern as in with like the last, what, like five, ten years. Basically, ever since Alex Ross got his grubby little hands on that character art-wise, I think she took a turn. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I'm not, I'm not being funny about this at all. I, I, I seriously think that she went from being kind of like the, the, the super bitch, if you will, to suddenly she's she, she rounded the corner, if you know what I mean. Uh, well, one, I think except for Linda Carter uh, as Wonder Woman, Alex Ross can't draw women. I don't think he does one at all. Either. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely, but I don't think he uh, does Wonder Woman well. They all look like transsexuals two weeks before the operation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're they're and, they're too muscular, you know. With apologies to all of our female bodybuilder listeners, you know, I they all look like those like super steroided out, flat chested bodybuilder women. They're fucking hideous. I just don't think that they're attractive at all. So yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I, you know, I I, I wouldn't I, I would not go so far as to say Power Girl plays for the home team, but uh, I, I see your point mainly because. Yeah, Jeff Johns did some interesting things with her in JSA as far as making her a character, but she's, unfortunately, she is a character that most writers and artists look at and see, hey, tits. You know, then ag- and, and that's it. Then again, though, to be fair, I'm not re- – I just remember that she actually has her own book right now. Does, I mean, is, is she is – she, uh, got a boyfriend or, or banging anybody in that you know do you read that <laughs> uh i'm a couple of, i'm about four or five months behind in fact i, I i'm actually six months behind but i uh, guess who showed up to vie for her affections vartox vartox sean connery and you know if sean connery can't you know get a woman into yeah, bed. nobody can yeah exactly you know what yeah, you say you might be right on that <laughs> it, it just occurred to me i guess this is just one of these modern things that happens but now you say vartox and it sounds like there should be a list of side effects shouldn't there <laughs> does it not <laughs> i just want the i just again i want the scene of, uh, of vartox and power girl in the tubs and like the woods <laughs> and then on the beach and then all that you know my wife still wonders does the insurance pay for the uh, for the four-legged tubs, as well as the medication. So, but uh, no, I, I I'm enjoying the Power Girl. It's Jimmy Palmiotti. Yeah, 
and, and Amanda Connor. Yep. And uh, I got a chance to talk to him about uh, Jimmy Pal- at Dragon Con. I got a chance to apologize to Jimmy Palmiotti for some of the shitty things I've said about him. Because if, if Power Girl's that good, I've really got to check out some of his other stuff. Because I read his Battle for Bloodhaven that he did with Justin Gray, and I didn't like it at all. So You got balls of steel for doing that, dude, because I met him at Dragon Con, too, and he's not the kind of guy I would have wanted to walk up to and go, yeah, I've been talking shit about you, and I'm sorry, because he seems like the kind of guy he'd put his foot right in your ass, you know what I mean? I'm telling you right now, I apologize, you know, because I said, look, I'm going to apologize, you know, I've said some crappy things, but, you know, I'm really enjoying it. And his his entire attitude was, dude, you know, I'm learning you know, you have your opinion, that's cool. You know, let, let me shake your hand. And we sat there and talked for five minutes. Oh, he was awesome, yeah. yeah. Oh, God, he's such a nice guy. Yeah, he is. He's, he's, he's totally real, yeah. And and the best thing about him is he ends every sentence with, right? Right, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, was just, it was just great. I mean, I just really enjoyed it. I felt bad. Yeah, I, I stood and talked to him for quite a while because I, you know, identified myself right off the bat as not just a Jonah Hex fan, like as in he's doing Jonah Hex right now, but as like I'm a light, you know, I, I'm a Jonah Hex fan from way back. Yeah, and it was like I was in like Flynn. All of a sudden, we were like brothers. So it was like you know, we got into this great big conversation about comics and Jonah Hex, and just it went all over the place. And he was just. He's just one of us. That was the cool thing about it. There was yeah. no pretension or, you know, there was no celebrity. He was just another fanboy shooting the shit about comics, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, because we were talking about Power Girl, and he said, you know, Dan DiDio, who I know is a friend of Jimmy Palmiotti's. Right. You know, to, to hear him say, you know, Dan wanted us to do it dark, and I had to argue the point. I'm like, wow, you're you're kind of, I mean, that's not like a, a, a big secret, but it's kind of interesting that you're you're basically sitting there going, yeah, I had an argument with the boss. So, <laughs> I appreciated that. Mm-hmm. I really did. And and I agree. You know, Power Girl doesn't need to be a dark book because that would just, I don't think I don't think it would succeed if you made her a dark character. At the, at the same rate, though, just playing devil's advocate, I think they went a little too far the other direction, though. I think Part of the reason I didn't stick with it is I think it's too light. It, it's okay. You know what I mean? I, maybe I'm yeah. completely wrong. I mean, if you disagree with me, say you disagree. But I mean, I I don't think it's too light. I, I see your point, but I am I am just enjoying the writing and I'm enjoying Amanda Connor's art mm-hmm. so much. I think she just she just has a really great. She has an affinity for that character that I don't think a lot of artists do. Because, again, you know, most artists just want to, you know, it's like that, I know he's dead, I know a lot of people liked his artwork, I couldn't fucking stand Michael Turner drawing Power Girl. I thought it looked like shit, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Not to put too fine a point on it. I don't... Especially I don't, on that Justice League cover, where her breasts were halfway down her chest, and so large, she looked like she was about to tip over. Yeah, see, I must, I must have missed all that, I don't remember seeing any of that. You don't remember that hullabaloo a couple years ago when when that thing came out and everyone lost their freaking minds over it? On Justice, you you talking Justice League? Yeah, it was it was when they were doing the Justice League, uh, the JLA JSA crossover, when both t- like that lightning game. saga and all that. See, yeah, I I, exactly. I didn't pay any attention to any of that shit. I, yeah, just, <laughs> I, I I just wasn't into it. You know what I mean? I, I haven't had interest in. DC's mainstream Justice League title in a hell of a long time. 
I mean, you know, I, I loved like the animated series, and the, I like the book that spun out of the animated series. But the the actual mainstream in continuity DCU Justice League, I, I just I, it's been crap to me for so long. I just haven't paid any attention to it. And the one issue I picked up thinking, well, maybe this is finally going to get good, was the first issue of the uh, the Robinson thing. <laughs> I thought it was absolutely horrible. <laughs> You know, I don't want to talk. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that. I'll start swearing again. (laughs) What we do want to talk about, however, is uh, the JSA has recently made two really big transitions over into the video medium with uh, just on uh, Smallville. And actually, it was like a movie, right? I mean, yeah, it was a two part. It was a two parter that they did as an event in one night. Mm hmm. So I was very impressed with yeah, that. That was uh, Absolute Justice. And then there was uh, a recent episode of Batman, The Brave and the Bold. What, what was the name of that? Something, the Golden Golden Age, something shit. Uh, the Golden Age of Justice. That was it. That was it. Yep. With, uh, with Batman teaming up with more or less a, a classic lineup of the... Uh, Mm-hmm. Justice Society of America. So, before we get into that, we uh, we got air from our good buddy uh, Jose Rivera, who was uh, talking about um, Absolute Justice, the Smallville two-parter, and just giving some thoughts on it. And uh, there there was has been a lot of speculation whether we were actually going to cover this or not. And, you, know, <laughs> you and I discussed it, and we decided, you know, well, you know, it is the Justice Society. We we had better cover it. Now, this is about the only way. You were going to get me to watch Smallville was to, you know, you really got to do something major to pull me into it. But I I did watch it and you know, in in a moment you will get into our thoughts on it. But this is what Jose had to say about it. Um, Talking about absolute justice. He says, hey, guys, he said, just wanted to comment on the Smallville two-parter featuring the Justice Society. I have to admit I was worried. Granted, the Legion episode was pretty damn good. And Jeff Johns is one of my favorite writers. Writers, I was worried uh, this might be too much to pull off. Boy, was I glad I was wrong. This episode was everything a JSA slash DSU fan uh, could ever have hoped for. For two hours, I felt like a little kid gleefully shouting uh, at all the Easter eggs and seeing some of my favorite characters finally in live action. If you were a fan of the Justice Society, this was your night. When we first saw Sylvester Pemberton in the coat with a cosmic rod for a split second, I thought it was Jack Knight as Starman. I did as well, actually. Yeah, me too. Um, I know we'll probably never see Jack in live action. Don't be too sure about that. But this was a nice thrill. But the cameos and Easter eggs were so amazing. We had Radu's coffee shop in the opening. Oh, I totally missed that. Yeah, so did I. Uh, we had both icicles. There was Checkmate and Amanda Waller. I might add Pam Greer still has it and makes a great wall. I don't know about that. Uh, We had Naboo whispering in Kent Nelson's head, John Jones's love for cookies. There was a Blue Valley school ID and a mention of Pat Dugan. I like that. Uh, We got to see the JSA Brownstone and that museum. How I wish uh, that thing were real. We even got Ma Hunkle. Yeah, that I thought was pretty cool. For me, the two scenes that made this two-part episode for me were the following. The scene with Chloe and Courtney in Watchtower 
and when Clark uncovers things in the museum. When Chloe and Courtney are talking, Courtney talks about the JSA with such passion, reverence, and love. She says uh, what we've all been saying during the course of this podcast. She talks about the JSA as a family. She said it so well. I'm convinced Jeff Johns has your houses bugged because uh, they contrasted that with the JSA is together as a family because they want to be because they want to be while the JLA only come together when the situation calls for it. Amen. Yeah. And that beautiful scene of Clark uncovering the items at the museum and looking at the painting as it clicks in his head who the men in the files were while they flash each person each person against their costumed alter ego. I'm going to I'm going to take a little bit of exception to that because they didn't do it with every single person in the picture. Next to one of the guys, and damn, now I wish I'd made a note as to which one it was. There was a a woman in black, and I I could black was it canary, black? It didn't look yeah. like her though, and she wasn't a blonde, so it was kind of tough to tell. I thought the I thought the picture was beautiful, and I really liked the art, but she was the only one that threw me. I kept looking at her, going, "Is that supposed to be Black Canary? Because it doesn't look like Black Canary, and she wasn't a blonde." So yeah, that one kind of threw me a little bit. But yeah, the rest of them I like. But I, I like what he's getting at, though. I, I liked the yeah. little, f- you know, flash of recognition on most everybody, but not everybody got that little flash. A couple of the characters got skipped. Uh, anyway, he continues that scene. Uh, was so well crafted, uh, I, I almost shed a tear. It said so much while doing so little, and you can tell right there that uh, this was a Je- uh, Jeff Johns moment. I found Hawkeye's voice uh, to be a little too bail for my taste, but Shanks played a great Carter Hall. A lot of the actors brought their A game to this. Now, I know there are a lot of naysayers who either don't want Smallville or just uh, wanted to pick on it, or those who do watch it but didn't enjoy it. And to be honest, that's fine, but this wasn't for them. This episode of Smallville was for those of us who enjoy a team who finally got to be put into the spotlight. It was for us, fans of the JSA and DCU. And if I had to describe this special in just one word, it would be this, magnificent. And that's from Jose Rivera. And I really enjoyed that email. Thank you very much for sending it. I, yes, sir. I agree with most everything he says here, with a couple of exceptions. The biggest one, and this was my biggest problem with this episode. Now, I am not a Smallville watcher. I couldn't even make it through the first season of Smallville. I tried. I honestly did. I wanted to like the show. I wanted to try to get into it, especially as the seasons kept ticking by. You know, it it, it made it through three seasons and then five seasons and then up to however they're they're at. And I kept thinking, there's got to be something there. If this show continues to survive and so many people love it, there's got to be something. I, I, I need to go go back and give it a, a, a fair shake and keep trying to get into it. And I've tried several times. And like I said, I can't even make it through the first season. But, you know, I came back and I watched, like, the Christopher Reeves episode. I watched the uh, the Legion episode. And then I watched this one. And, and I enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. I really enjoyed the, the portrayal of the JSA. But here was my major problem with this one, is that a lot of this episode depended on Hawkman. And with apologies to Jose, Hawkman was shit in this episode. He was completely fucking miscast. The, the guy that played him was way too young. 
way too I don't know what the hell he was going for as a as a portrayal but yeah he had the goofy voice and and all of that but the between the chest plate that looked completely ridiculous because he had like a wrath of khan chest with these scrawny little arms and then the wings were terrible why didn't they just cgi the wings because you know the wings would come out but then when he would do that little it, you know what it reminded me of it reminded me of the old uh superboy tv show when superboy would move at super speed it would just be like like this blur and then it'd like whoosh and he was gone and they kept yeah. doing that with hawkman and i was like oh my god that looks so stupid i mean why didn't they just have him beat his wings and fly like a bird but instead, he, he went into warp speed every time he flew, and it, it looked really silly. And, I mean, I appreciate that that's got to be really hard to do, especially on a TV show budget. But, you know, they did so much else right, and everything else looked really good special effects-wise, that when they dropped the ball with Hawkman, then it made Hawkman look just that much worse because everybody else was pretty much dead on. Yes, so I thought that was kind of a shame. I, I really, you know, I'm not the biggest Hawkman fan anyway. But if there's one guy that does a great Hawkman, it's Jeff Johns. I mean, his work on on Hawkman is what actually turned me around from thinking Hawkman was just complete crap to going, you know, this guy actually has potential. He actually can be an interesting character because that that series was good. I really enjoyed. It. Yes, it was. I, I, I very much enjoyed. It was solid, but. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't care for the uh, the actor that that played him in this, and I sure didn't like the the look. Both the look and the special effects just the combination of the three just didn't work for me. But the rest of it, yeah, I, I enjoyed it pretty good. How about you, Michael? Uh, I really enjoyed it. I I, I I was nervous too because you know JSA is obviously something that I have a great amount of affection for. So, and every time something gets put on Smallville, they have to put him in a leather jacket or <laughs> or have some, like, 15-year-old kid cast in the role, or you turn Mr. Mixius Pitalik into Euro trash. Um, I, I thought you could really tell Jeff Johns wrote this. I mean, you could really tell Jeff Johns mm-hmm. wrote this. I was very impressed that they went all out with the costumes, since that is something that this show has shied away from since pretty much the beginning. This season, it's really turning around about that. But, you know, I always got the sense that with the, the original producers of, uh, of this series, were just they wanted to trade on the name of Superman, but they didn't want to, they didn't want to do that silly costume. To which I say, fuck you, commit, or, or right. shit, or get off. Exactly. You know, if, if you're going to do Superman, God damn it, do the costume. But I'm going to calm down. Anyways, uh, I really liked Doctor Fate. Uh, I was I was very impressed with Doctor Fate. Actually, that that was that was my main worry because he had the dishpan pa- gloves things. You know, like like he's about like they caught him right after he was you know cleaning up the dishes. But did did you uh, think looked- he was a little short for a stormtrooper though? That was yeah, that was the only. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was he was tiny, but you know it, it was amazing watching it because because I sat there and, and, and as with most things I watch it with my wife, and and she has and I'm not saying this in an annoying way she has a zillion questions because she's kind of unfamiliar and it was really great to sit there and go ooh Alan Scott ooh Ted Grant ooh Jay Garrick ooh the helmet oh look at that look at the ring look at all of that 
And what I was most impressed with is that they took something we're going to be talking about uh, in a couple of weeks. They took the reason why the JSA disbanded in the comics, and they translated that to the Smallville verse very organically. I I was very happy with that. Uh, I liked Hawkman as long as he wasn't in costume. It's like when he was in his normal clothes, I, 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 I thought he nailed the character. Once he put that outfit on, remember, I remember, I think it was in the first or second episode of the series, I'm like, man, I hope that costume looks better, you know, in motion. No. Uh, sorry. Dr. Fate looked much better. I still think that Stargirl had the monkey head thing going on. <laughs> but that's just a personal thing. I was very surprised that the name Sylvester Pemberton was uttered. Yeah, no kidding. Holy shit. <laughs> Are you really? Wow, you you committed. Yeah, but poor um, Star Spangled Kid can't catch a fucking break in in any you know universe yeah. that he's in. Uh, hopefully, that's not spoiling too much. But you know what I mean. He um, he just yeah. yeah. I was really I was saddened by by what happened to him, and so early in the episode too. I thought the cosmic staff looked good. Yeah. Um, there was one moment that I think only I really really enjoyed. Uh, on a on a pure geek level is when you had the Martian Manhunter and Doctor Fate together, and that's only because Easter of '86 I got the Doctor Fate and Martian Manhunter superpowers figure. Brag, in brag, my, brag! In in my Easter basket, so <laughs> I, I liked seeing them together. Uh, I had a, had a few issues with the the with uh, with Doctor Fate getting taken down so fucking easily. Um for being such a, a high muckety-muck uh, magic guy. Uh, I thought the final fight was very good. I, As much as I appreciate the sentiment behind the scene between Courtney and Chloe, that was a little too much laying it on. You know, that, that, there was no subtlety about that scene. Right. Um, the, I didn't really like that this was the episode where we introduce Amanda Waller. And, and as much as I like Pam Greer, I think she's completely wrong for that character. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, know. you know, I don't know how to say this and then not sound like I'm being rude, but they, they need a great big fat black lady. I mean, that's who Amanda, that's part of her character. Yeah. You know, I mean, she, just simply getting a black woman isn't enough. She She doesn't fit the profile. You know, it'd be like, you know, you can't just cast any white guy to be Superman. It has to be a specific... Yeah, a specific body type, and Amanda Waller's the same thing. You know, just just getting a black woman doesn't cut it. You know, you need somebody really ginormous in that 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 can pull off the fact that that woman has stature. That that was so much of Amanda Waller's character yeah. was that she was built like you know like a like a wall. You know, she was this huge woman that was immovable and tough as nails and everything else and I didn't get that from Pam Greer at all you know I, I really got almost like a uh, you know your standard comic book guest appearance you know comic book TV show guest appearance and it, it didn't eh, it just didn't work for me I, but, I didn't think she was I, horrible I just didn't she no. was accurately cast but I liked the icicle I liked the dynamic between Hawkman and Green Arrow because that 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 owes a lot to the comic book roots, but 
But the thing that I loved about this two-parter is the thing that drives me nuts about Smallville. Is we got all of these flashes of the DC Universe in a show that it, that really try that that's their 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 trick. They they're like, ooh, look, here's Hawkman and he's in costume, and here's Doctor Fate and he's in costume. Look at all of these great elements of the DC Universe. Yeah, you see that Superman guy? Yeah, he's not in the costume yet. He's not ready. Sorry, he's not ready. He'll he'll wear his Matrix outfit, and. Uh, and, and you'll be happy with that for right now because Clark's not ready. I mean, everybody else can have a costume. Everybody else can have a shot at Lois Lane. You know, everyone else gets to have the cool secret identity and everything. Clark's still figuring it out. And I'm sorry, it's season nine. This shit should be pretty apparent by now. But why is he and, not wearing glasses either? If he's if he's actually working at the Daily Planet now, then I don't want to talk about that because it's just going to lead to me being. Well, that's that's fine. I mean, I, I don't watch no, the no. show, but it just you know for this it, being it, like you say season nine, and I I haven't caught a show since I couldn't tell you when, so I'm not up on what whatever the hell is going on. But I suddenly tune in and, oh, okay, now he's actually, you know, he's no longer down on the farm. He's actually in the city. He's a reporter. He's Clark Kent. He's working at the Daily Planet. He's hanging around with Lois Lane and all these people. He's like one step away from being Superman. But wait a minute. He's not wearing glasses. So how, how the hell is he, when he actually does make that transition, if it ever actually happens, yeah. how is he ever going to possibly be able to... You know, say, well, no, I'm not that guy. Because, I mean, plus, am I wrong? Does it seem like everybody else in the cast except Lois Lane knows that he's Superman? <laughs> Pretty much. The, uh, the the two problems I had with this, the two ma- major problems I had, though, with the episode itself is, one, Lois Lane's involvement felt very tacked on. Like, we have to have Lois in this episode, so here she is. And the other is is the character Tess Mercer, uh, who was kind of the stand-in for Lex last season, mm-hmm. is now an agent of Checkmate. What? Where the hell did that come from? Yeah, see, I didn't even know who that character <laughs> that just, was. So, yeah, she she took over for Lex last season, and she had a lot to do with Zod at the at the beginning of this season. She's an amazing actress in that she can wear her hair down or up. And she looks completely different. Hmm. It, it, it's amazing. I, she's a, she's a beautiful woman. Don't get me wrong, but it's just fascinating that she can have her hair like down. It's like wow, that looks good. And then you see her in the next scene. Wait, wait, wait. That's the same character I just saw. That's wow. Maybe that glasses thing would work. You know, speaking of beautiful women, here's something I've thought was a flaw with this show right from the beginning, and I see that nine seasons later, they fixed it only to duplicate the same error over again which is all right when the series started out you had lana lang Uh never attracted to this one i never thought she was good looking she was for one thing all right you you guys can send us go ahead and say say send hate mail if you want to but she's the wrong race for one thing you know lana lang was a hot redhead where the hell did they get the idea that they could cast this other girl or whatever she was? I don't even know. 
and have her be Lana Lang. It came off as exactly what it was. It was an attempt to not have it be a completely Anglo show. I call bullshit on stuff like that. You know, Lana Lang is an iconic comic book character. You know, cast her like she is in the comics, you know? Like Stacey Ahab. Yeah, they did the same thing with Pete Ross. And again, it comes off as what it is. It's an attempt to, well, you know, we got too many white people on the show. We've got we to throw some people of different race. That, that, shit, that shit is so transparent when they do it that it's, it's actually, I think it's more insulting, you know, than, if, than not doing it. You know what I mean? It just, it, it's yeah. so transparent. Anyway... So so then he's got, you know, the the girlfriend that's, you know, the the love interest that he's chasing is not as hot as the girl that's right in front of his face that wants him, which is the Chloe character. That girl is oh my god, you know. And he I was a Chloe fan from Yeah, and he it's like he doesn't see it, you know. All right, so now here we are 9 seasons later. Granted, I don't watch the show as I've said. All right, Chloe's still there. Now she even knows about the whole Kryptonian thing and everything. She's she's totally in his little club. He still acts like he's completely oblivious. And now he's chasing Lois Lane. And I'm sorry, is it just me? That chick is not attractive. It's just you. Is it really? Yeah, because I wasn't too thrilled with her, but as I've watched the, the seasons... Uh, because I'm only like two seasons behind on this show, but as I've watched her character progress, and I've really gotten to like her as Lois Lane, and I think she is absolutely gorgeous. So, all right, just... I guess maybe it's just me then. I just I looked at her and I said, "Wow, you know, I mean, this is this is the 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 woman that Superman eventually settles for. That's pretty sad because she yeah. just was not doing it for me at all." There, there's only one time where I've ever seen, you know. Uh, you know, Lana be more attractive than you know the the, the other love interest, and that was in Superman three. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> had it all over Margot. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> I well, that's the funny thing. You know, that's that's why I, I guess I'd have to give this Lois Lane a bit of a break on the on the angle of his, as historical precedent in. Superman in other media, you know, Superman in video media, you know, movies and such. There's never really been like a gorgeous Lois Lane. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm not saying they're like Phyllis Coates. Huh? I don't... From the first season of The Adventures of Superman, I thought it was absolutely gorgeous. She's pretty, but I'm talking like, wow. You know, like you can totally Even Terry see Hatcher? Wa- oh, pfft. no. I never thought she was attractive. See, I thought she was very pretty in the first two seasons. They got, you know, her and the one that's this one here on Smallville, they've both got that kind of like skeezy, or not skeezy, but like, I don't know how to describe it. They're, they're just... For, you know who should have played Lois Lane that actually did, just not live action? Dana, Dana Delaney. Delaney, yeah. Now, she's a perfect <sighs> Lois Lane, yeah. God... Actually, I was of the opinion that Superman the Animated Series, you can pretty much take all of those voice actors and put them in the room. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, just every single one of those people, my God. I would love to see Tim Daly play a live-action Superman. Hell yes. You know, I always thought he was great as the voice and all, but after seeing him as Jim Lovell in From the Earth, Moon, hell yeah, I would buy him as Superman. (laughs) 
Yeah, totally. Look, if if you don't think Dana Delaney's attractive, folks, and, and and you're attracted to women, watch the movie Exit to Eden, and all of your answers are in that movie. Mm-hmm. So there you go. That's just you know what's funny now that I think about it. Isn't Dana Delaney also in From the Earth to the Moon? I'm pretty sure. I think she was. Yeah, Lane Smith's in there. There's a whole lot of super yeah. connections to uh, to that miniseries, actually. Because one, yeah, one of, if I sat there and looked at it, I could, I could do yeah. it. So, well, one of the Jimmy Olsons is in that somewhere too. Mark McClure. Yeah, Mark McClure, and I think another. I think the one that did the voice of Jimmy on the animated series is in there somewhere as well. But yeah. no, Mark McClure was in Apollo 13. Yes. He may also be in From the Earth to the Moon, though. I'm, I'm, yeah, there was a lot of crossover. Yeah, there. a lot of them. <laughs> but, but before this turns into the uh, From the Earth to yeah. the Moon podcast, we'll switch gears. Let's talk about uh, – now, you and I just today watched yeah, literally. Uh, the Brave and Bold episode. Uh, go first on this one. What did, what did you think of it? I, I liked the character designs. Especially Jay Garrick and uh, Doctor Midnight. I like the fact that the Hawkman helmet changed from the Golden Age to the present, yes. and that the helmet was more like the helmet we're going to see in a couple of weeks. That's like the one that we used in our logo, the the state and logo. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the voice acting was really good. You had Clancy Brown as Per Degaton. You know, I just heard recently that he does the voice of Mr. Krabs on Spongebob, and I never yes, knew does. that before. That blew my mind to hear that. But yeah, Clancy Brown loved that guy. Uh, you had Arlie Ermey as Wildcat, which I think is funny. Yeah, I don't know if that uh, is. I, that voice always sounds familiar when I hear it. But did, I you, did you ever see the movie Full Metal Jacket? Oh, he's the uh, drill instructor. Drill sergeant, yes. He's got a show on the History of Channel. Of course, too. yeah. I can't, I, that's a movie I cannot watch right there. Uh, William Cat was Hawkman. No way, really? The greatest American hero. It's the second time he's played a character like this, because he, uh, he was the Green Guardsman on that Legends two-parter that's right, Justice yeah. League. Yeah. But um, I thought it was really cool how... They tied Batman's training into the JSA. Mm-hmm. I liked when they did the flashbacks. Batman's costume looked completely different, more like a Golden Age Batman costume. He looked like he looks in uh, New Frontier. I liked the overall story. I liked the fact that they were giving him nothing but shit. Because every time you see Batman these days, he's like the perfect guy. And it's just funny to see a bunch of people that are not afraid to go, Are you doing that right? Look, I could do that better than you. Uh, I liked the fact that at one point, I don't know if you caught this, but when they were in the JSA Museum, I was watching Wildcat and Black Canary talk, and in the background was the Batman, the animated series Batman picture. Yeah, I did see that. I was just like, that's freaking awesome. That is awesome. Um, What do you think of Diedrich Bader as Batman? Eh. On that show? I think he's fine. I don't think it's his fault that I I have a lot of problems with this show. I, I think he does a very good Batman for the Batman he was hired to play. Yeah. My problem is is that maybe it's me, but it feels like this show can't make up its mind what it wants to be. Because some yeah, some days it wants that. to be Batman the animated series 
and some days it wants to be, you know, the Adam West the show. Adam West. And it's like, all right, yeah. you got to make up your mind because I love one and I fucking despise the other. So you, you got to, you got to, <laughs> you can't walk the middle ground with me, you know. And that's why I have a, a lot of problems getting into this show because every time I start to embrace it and start to go, you know, this show's actually pretty cool and I could really get into this. Then he does something completely Adam Westy that just takes me <laughs> right out of it and I go, God, that's stupid, you know? I love this show. I really do. I, I, I want to love it and that's what's killing me is I really want to love it. But it, like I said, it, that's what it keeps doing is every time I go, wow, you know, because I, I see the homages, like the picture you were yes. talking about. I see where it is really trying to embrace that other side, you know, that that Batman the animated series side. But it's it's letting go of the goofy Silver Age trappings. See, that that's what holds me back from fully embracing it. You and I have different opinions about the Adam West series, though. Uh, which is odd because we come from the same common ground on it, of loving it when we were kids. I have an appreciation for it that continues to this. I see the silly aspects of it, but the thing I love about Brave and the Bold, and and it was typified in this in the, in this episode, is that it is introducing to a brand new audience, and especially putting it on like right before Clone Wars. Mm-hmm on Friday nights, it is introducing the larger DC universe in a way that even Justice League Unlimited didn't do. Now, I'm not saying that just this is better than Justice League Unlimited, because, frankly, uh, the Timverse is the best animated version of the DC universe ever. Mm-hmm. Hands down, no questions asked. You know, just about everything they touched was gold. Not everything, just about. But it's kind of cool that this show introduced a bunch of kids to Detective Chimp yep. in the very beginning mm-hmm. uh, in a very Clue-esque setting where you had, uh, you know, Colonel Mustard and, you know, Miss Scarlet, though she was in purple. I thought that was kind of cute. And I like the fact that he talked at the very end. Yep. And, and you got, you know, you got Commandy out of this series and Jonah Hex, even though he was on... Batman and, and Justice League Unlimited. But the Jonah Hex episode was really good. It's just, the thing that I didn't like about this particular episode was the whole Black Canary with the chip on her shoulder was way overplayed. And I understand that this is a show... Okay, let's face it, Scott. It's not designed for us. It's designed for kids. Right. Mm-hmm. So, that's another thing I try to keep in mind when I'm watching it. But there's so many Easter eggs for adults that... It's kind of hard to separate it from being for kids. But, man, Pear Digaton is the villain? Wow. <laughs> it's funny. That's it's, awesome. It's funny, though, that, uh, you know, kids are smart. You know, they're smarter than I think people give them credit for, especially show writers. Because, yeah. you know, keeping in mind that, like you say, this this really is aimed more at kids than it is at us. I'm watching it with my kids, and it's the part where, you know, they're all standing around talking in the museum and everything, and you see the shadowy figure in the background kind of skulk by, skulk by and I'm, you know, and I, I have a certain thought, right, it's just to myself. I didn't say it to anybody else, but my kids are watching it with me, and it gets to the part where he 
uses his little device and he goes into the JSA's uh, museum and he's going in there to steal the, the Spear of Destiny and all that. And my youngest says exactly what I had just thought. Is this really the best time to do this when the JSA and Batman are standing right frickin' there, you know? And I was just so proud, you know, that, that you know, I'm raising good little geeks that see through the plot holes like this. You know, I mean, really, I mean, the guy, <laughs> that is the absolute worst time try to pull this off, you know, when, when all the heroes are actually right right there, you know. He doesn't doesn't do it in the middle of the night or anything. Let me ask you this. Did Was it me or did that JSA logo look like the old DC bullet? Yes, very much so. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just didn't, didn't, didn't want to just be me. But no, I like, the, I like the fact that I got to see Our Man animated. Yeah. And something other than DC New Frontier and Jay Garrick looked good. Everybody looked good. I just love Doctor Midnight's look. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. I, I overall I was happy. I have like one or two problems, but I thought it was a good representation of the JSA. I thought it was good. I really the only criticism I have, and, and it's not even a, a criticism of this specific episode, is kind of the series as a whole. And I guess this probably comes back to the, you know, it's it's aimed at kids type of thing. But, you know, with with Justice League, and especially Justice League Unlimited, the episodes built upon one another. And there was a sense of continuity. There was a sense of things coming to a head. There was a sense of continuing storylines. And another reason that, that this show, while I enjoy it while I'm watching it, but then later on I'm like, God, what was that one episode even about? Is that it doesn't have a uh, – the, the episodes aren't terribly impressive, and they don't world build or anything like that. You know what I mean? So there's there's, you know, I watched this episode and I enjoyed it, but I'm telling you, a week from now I won't remember what it was about. Whereas Justice League Unlimited wasn't like that. You know, I mean, those episodes were, were really dynamic. There was a, a, a full story in them. Yes. You know, they were very, uh, well, they were very much like a real television show is, you know, when, when they're done well. And done. Yes. No, no, that, that was always my feeling about any of the Timverse series is that you could pretty much take any of these characters and, and drop the or any of these episodes and do a live action version of it and it would still work right so i didn't though in a couple couple episodes though captain marvel ah is it okay i wondered yes. about because see at the end of the the uh that well no actually it wasn't either it was a commercial that i saw either at the end of brave and the bold or at the end of clone wars i forget you know they show little flashes of their other programs on cartoon network and i remember seeing captain marvel belting somebody and i was like oh you know what where is that going to happen or has it happened and i was trying to look that up today to see if it's if he's actually been on brave and the bold because I, I haven't seen all the episodes i was watching it faithfully when it came out and then our uh our tivo um back over the summer when we had all those electrical storms and everything, our TiVo got fried and we lost all the uh, the episodes that I had. So I had this great big gap and and this is the first one I've seen, you know, in quite a long time. So there's like a lot, there's probably like 20 episodes in between where I was watching and then this latest one with the, with the Justice uh, Society that I just watched. So, 
Yeah, I wasn't sure. I've got to start. I've got to start taping them so I can watch them because I do enjoy them. I, I, you know, not as much as the as the Tim Verse stuff, but it, it's still interesting to see how malleable Batman is as a uh, as a character. Mm-hmm. Really, I think more so than any other comic book character, Batman work can work on all levels. You can do the dark, grim, gritty. You can do the 70s James Bond. You can do kind of the kitschy Adam West one. And, and, and it all, on a certain level, works. And I think that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. So, that's true. That's just me. Uh, well, let's let's knock through, knock through some emails before our main feature. Cool. Because we got a, we got a really awesome story to talk about <laughs> today. Uh, our first one, or second one, I guess, technically, would be, is from Dion Cottrell, who is discussing the uh, 12th episode of the series. Says excellent episode. Thanks for covering ancillary appearances like DC special number twenty nine. I realize Scott dislikes Dick Dillon's art, but at a minimum, I hope you'll do a catch all episode of the many JLA JSA team ups since the JLA debuted. Yep, <laughs> gonna happen. We got plans. Yep. Stick with us, yeah, folks. We actually mapped out the show. <laughs> <laughs> It was amazing. It was an interesting exercise. It took me three minutes. Um, <laughs> but I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm excited. There's, we have some really excited no, no, stuff coming little... along. You know, we we have plans for, um, you know, because not long from now, um, about six weeks, yeah, All Star will be wrapping up, and that goes briefly into uh, Adventure Comics, and then that wraps up, and then we have you know a period of time in between the end of adventure and the beginning of all-star squadron where we're going to just kind of enjoy ourselves and cover other things, you know, in that interim. And I don't, I don't want to spoil it. I I want it to be a surprise, but it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. And, you know, exactly what he's asking for is the sort of thing that's going to be in that interim. So, yeah, because I feel badly, you know, and I think I've said this on this show before that you know I, I playfully gave you and Jeffrey some shit over at FCTC about you know you guys are covering you know that basically twenty year period of Superman between Man of Steel number one and and the end of that Superman you know at the end of uh, Infinite Crisis yet you guys kind of wanted to cherry pick the stories that that you wanted to do and ignore the ones that you didn't and I was like no wait a minute if you're gonna do it do it. And ultimately, I kind of feel I've come to feel that way about this. That if we're going to cover the Justice Society from All Star Fifty Eight, then we pretty much need to just do it, you know. And a lot of that stuff I haven't read either, so that that'll be a lot of fun. It'll be interesting to see, you know, if if some of the fringier stuff that you know almost barely even falls under the auspices of being. You know, a JSA story or an Earth Two story or whatever, you know, will will still be interesting or or whatever. You know, will will come down to being something that uh, will ultimately be worth discussion or worth analysis or whatever. I'll, I'll be interested to see how that goes. So, ah, end of the day, it's going to be fun. I mean, I think I think that's going to be the main. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to going through the JLA JSA team ups, even if we're just talking about the basic story and and how we felt about it. So, uh, but Dion continues, they're worth devoting at least one episode to, if not more. And I find some of the s- stories enjoyable uh, enough, regardless of who's on our duties. Until next time, Dion. 
Dion has his footnotes. August of 1978 was the low point for DC's post-implosion output. Only 17 issues shipped that month, versus 33 in July and 23 or so in the months after, with most of the borderline titles, Star Hunters and the like, axed for good. Few series went bi-monthly, though the decreased frequency didn't seem to help sales much. In fact, I believe the first new post-August 1978 title was World of Krypton, which didn't begin shipping until April 1979 and was only, in quotes, a three-issue limited series, the first ever. That's quite a drop given how quickly DC was churning out titles in the two-year period prior to the implosion. Two, Superman really steals the end of DC special number 29, as well he should. Mm -hmm. Sorry, that was me. His arrival during the climactic battle and his parting words are two of the best moments in the issue. A... Yep, absolutely. For all intents and purposes, he's the Earth 2 Superman at his best, and I'm more pleased every time I reread the story because of it. I don't know that we can say it's the best Earth 2 Superman appearance of the period, but it's definitely up there. Don't get me started on how badly Earth 2 Lois and he have been treated since 2006. Amen to that, (laughs) too, yeah. I'm sure you'll spend time on the Spear of Destiny once you hit All-Star Squadron, but I'm still curious about how both of you view the basic premise featured in the that later series, i.e. the Golden Age heroes couldn't end World War II because, in essence, Hitler kept them out with the Spear of Destiny. I recognize the need for such a plot point, otherwise we have no war in Europe, much less Pearl Harbor, etc., in the DC's uh, Universe's Golden Age. I find it less compelling as a storytelling point, though. While I love Roy Thomas's Earth 2 work, I wish it had been handled less, quote-unquote, conveniently. Finally, for what it's worth, a list of Marvel novels can be found at marvelmasterworks.com. I've yet to find a similar list for DC's output, so perhaps you can share any sources of leads you've found in that direction. And there you go, from Dion. Yeah, I would love to find a list like that, because not long ago at a, at a flea market, I scored uh, a Green Lantern paperback. It was about the Alan Scott Green Lantern. I'd never even heard wow. of this book. And so, yeah, I'd, I'd love to find a list like that, because there are definitely... Some uh, some DC prose novels out there that just for whatever reason just never got any sort of hype or anything. Just you know, <laughs> I'm finding them as as back issues basically, and it's like, whoa, where did this come from? Uh, I just wanted to address you know what he was saying about the Spear of Destiny. I like that, um, and I like it more as time goes on. Part of it, part of the reason I liked it is I, I think the only other thing off the top of my head that could have worked better. Or, or could have worked as well. I won't say better, but as well. You know, keeping in mind that this is Hitler having to stave off superheroes from coming and uh, you know just taking him out would be if you know he had used like say the Ark of the Covenant. But then that would you know in you know now that you know this all predates Raiders of the Lost Ark. But now you know if we were reading this today, looking back on it, that's what everybody would think. You know, that's what everybody would equate it to would would be Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark, and and it would it would come off a little bit awkwardly, even though you know Thomas would have would have come up with that idea first. Yeah. That or something uh with alien technology or something like that which strangely I think that that would come off a little bit wonky even though you're dealing with superheroes some of whom are aliens 
or powered by alien technology themselves, like Green Lantern, I think still that might come off a little bit weird. You know, even though you know there are people that believe that that was part of part of Hitler's thing with the occult and all that too. That's what some of his people were doing in the Antarctic was actually searching for some alien thing or, or whatever. But I like that. The Spear of Destiny is actually tied into something Hitler really was up to at at the time with having his people, you know, much like in the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, going around the world on these secret missions, rounding up occult artifacts. That really happened. I mean, that wasn't just made up for that movie. That's something Hitler really did. And so I like this idea that he, he took one of them and made that the the you know mechanization for how he was able to stave off the superheroes from invading and just taking him out. I, I think it works. The only time I felt that the Spear of Destiny didn't work is when it suddenly had powers that had absolutely not a goddamn thing to do with Christianity. <laughs> you know, yeah. like like summoning the Valkyries. I, I, I still don't understand that. What the hell did the Valkyries <laughs> have to do with Jesus Christ? It just doesn't there, – there's such a disparity there that it just boggles the mind. I didn't like the sound of it until I actually read the issues of All-Star Squadron where it was revealed. And then I was like, you know what? That makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. So uh, I like it. I, I, I enjoy it too. I just don't want to get into too much of it uh, before we get to All-Star right. Squadron. Because you have to have something. Because if it was just, yeah, you, need it. you know, if it was just like the old Fleischer cartoons, where all that existed was Superman at that power level, then I don't think you would need it. Because it would it would come down to a matter of could Superman alone get all the way to Berlin and take out Hitler? You know, you could argue that he could, and you could argue that he couldn't. But then when you throw in, you know, you throw in Green Lantern and the Flash and all these, you know, Outman, Doctor Fate, Fate Spectre. the Spectre, and all these other guys that made up the JSA and the All Stars and all these other teams that eventually came along through retconning and everything else, you know, when you've got all those guys together, that that they're basically a battalion of superheroes. Yeah, then it gets silly. Then it gets to be like, well, why didn't they just go take him out? So they had to have something to answer that question of why they couldn't do it. And I think, you know, I I can't think of anything better. So, I mean, for that reason alone, I think the Spear of Destiny was a pretty good thing. But ultimately, you know, even so, I I think it's a cool idea. I think it works pretty well. And it was a real thing. You know, that actually existed. So, you know. James Robinson came up with a good alternative in Golden Age, but uh, again, I don't want to spoil head on that. Head uh, on that. So, mm-hmm. but uh, I kind of liked what what they had done with it in there. But you know, just just for the sheer Golden Age, you know, movie serial aspect to it, the Spear of Destiny works so much better. Did they not have the Spear of Destiny in Golden Age? It's been a while since I've nope. read that. No, uh, it was a it was a rumor. There was something else that prevented them from doing it. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I guess I could say it because it's going. Well, I mean, I remember this. I remember the big revelation in that book. I remember what what ends up, you know, the the person that ends up being the revelation. I remember all of that. I just can't remember. Well, I'll just go ahead okay. and spoil it because it's kind of a minor point to the book. But basically, there was a a person in Hitler's army that could negate 
a, a person. That's super right. Yeah, it was like a living person that basically did the yeah. same thing that the Spear of Destiny could do. Or- well, no, because the Spear of Destiny drove them crazy and turned them into Nazis. Yeah. Well, I, didn't they do it both ways, though? Because I, I do remember that, but I, I thought there was also a thing where... Well, maybe I'm confusing it with Golden Age now that you say that. I thought that there was a thing where if they p- crossed a certain threshold yeah, that, that they were that they were powerless or, or something like that maybe i'm confusing the two but yeah now that now that you say that yeah i do remember that if they if they crossed a certain radius or whatever then they actually fell under the 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 thrall of hitler and became you know his his min, you know they were brain juiced up on fascism. yeah that yeah i don't like now that i think about that i, I got to revise that part of the spirit destiny thing i didn't like i think it would have been better if it were just, it formed a barrier either they could not cross, or if they crossed it, they were suddenly powerless. But to cross it and then they yeah. became Nazis or became, you know, like zombie minions or something like that, yeah, that, that I don't care for. I, I'd actually forgotten that plot point now that, you, now that you say that. See, you're the memory guy on this stuff. <laughs> I'm the guy that's read them on and goes, yeah, well, uh, I sort of half-ass remember that. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> i got to bring something to the table. So. <laughs> you, and you, you, you and my wife were giving me shit about that last weekend. So. No, not at all. No, I envy you that because, you know, you're, you're the guy that, you know, you can remember what you, you know, where you bought something and how you read it on some obscure book 20 years ago. And it's like, pfft. I bought books, you know, last week. I couldn't tell you, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. But, no, I I think that's pretty cool. Well, anyway, we need to go on to some more emails, don't we? Yes. All right. Let's see what we got here. We got – all right. We got one from Jack Perez. He says, uh, quick email. Just caught up on number 12. You guys are crushing it, he says. This is what I have been waiting to catch up listening to after the holidays. Uh, this just makes my decade. Glad to hear you are going for the whole Earth 2 storyline. Also, hipsters. Blah. <laughs> he says, uh, he sent us a link to, what is this? www.latfh.com. Not safe for work. Cheers. It's, a, it, it's something making fun of hipsters. Ah, oh, that's right. I did take a look at that. He says, P.S., had my rant fully written out. Uh, I'll send more. I'll send it out after I remove some of the FNC bombs. Hey, don't don't delete that stuff yeah, on our account. Don't, yeah, don't <laughs> edit. Yeah, no. <laughs> Does it look like I avoid the FNC bombs in any of my shows? <laughs> All right. And we've got one from uh, from Chris Cavett. He writes, uh, World's Finest and A Dollar Comics versus 100-page Super Spectaculars. This is kind of taking me to task a little bit, I think, because, uh, well, I'll just read it and you'll see where he's going with this. He says, guys, I'm loving the podcast still. Thanks for doing it. I'm writing to clear up a bit of confusion you guys seem to have during the last episode. I'm a little older than you, so I have clear memories of the comics of the 1970s. My copies of the uh, All-Star comics you are reviewing were purchased for cover price as they were released. Anyway, the old large comics you were referring to, uh, which were packed with reprints, some from the Golden Age, were 100-page super spectaculars. Uh, These were published during the first half of the 1970s. The earliest ones cost only 50 cents 
then, then the bulk of them cost 60 cents. None of them were dollar comics. Dollar Comics debuted in early 1977, about two years after the last 100-page Super Spectacular had been published. I have almost all of them, and I'm almost positive that their content was 100% new story and art. I don't recall any reprints, but without going through every page of every comic, I can't be 100% sure. If there were any reprints... They were both, uh, excuse me, they were uh, both few and rare, definitely not the norm. Also, you said that the world's finest dollar comics came about shortly after world's finest started being a Superman Batman book again. I suppose the truth of that statement depends on how one defines shortly after. World's Finest was a Superman team-up book beginning with issue number 198, November 1970, through number 214, October 1972. There were still a few team-ups with Batman in that run, uh, but they were not the norm and never appeared in consecutive issues, discounting all the uh, or dis- discounting the all reprint giant issue number two hundred six. The first dollar comic issue of World's Finest was number two forty four, May nineteen seventy seven. So it came about thirty issues and four point five years after the last non Batman Superman team up. Thanks again for the great podcast, Chris Cavett, Silver Springs, Maryland. And uh, I just want to say thank you very, very much for this email. Um, I do not have a problem at all being corrected. As a matter of fact, I want to encourage folks, you know, if you catch us in something like this, definitely let us know. I had a feeling, and I don't know if it comes through in the audio in that episode or not, but I had a feeling as we went on talking about this, I started to doubt myself, thinking, you know what, I think I'm getting this confused with those other, you know, the the bigger issues that were more reprints but i couldn't remember basically these type of things all blend together in my memory you know when it when it came to the great big huge thick comics all i know is that you got a hundred pages and it was dirt freaking cheap back in the day i mean it was like the 80 page giants were the same way you know 80 pages for what you know like a quarter or something like that that was a steal back then and i loved those kind of things so but I think he's right. I think on the whole, I think dollar comics were original material, maybe possibly as they wore on. I I, yeah. I could swear that there was at least a couple of them that had some sort of like maybe like a golden age reprint or something like that in the back. But I'm, I'm probably wrong about that. But, yeah, I, I definitely know like the 100 page super spectaculars, 80 page giants, that sort of thing. But I, I I hope you get what we were going for anyway, that, you know, that there were comics like that, that had, you know, a little bit of new material in the beginning of them and then just a ton of great reprints in the back. I can't remember exactly what our conversation was about now, you know, how that came up in conversation. Do you? I don't remember. One of the things is I can tell tell you where I was and literally where I was the first time I read Superman, the man of, or the man of steel. Number one, uh, I can't tell you what I said in a recording two weeks. ago. (laughs) So there you go. That's just one of my, and and this era of DC is one of my blind spots with the company. I really want to learn more about the 70s stuff in general, Mm -hmm. uh, just so I can increase my power base as, as a, as a, guy who knows a shitload about comic books so 
I need to increase my knowledge. <laughs> so that you and I can, like, take on a comic book trivia thing at one point and just crush everyone in our path, so... Well, he had said something else also about, you know, what what do, would we define as shortly after? I, I guess we must have made some statement about World's Finest or something, you know, resuming after show. I would say that between issue 214 and 244, I would say that's shortly after. I mean, that's only 30 issues. I mean, granted, looking at the timeline he gives here, you know, that's almost five years, but... You know, when you when you're looking back over time like this, that doesn't seem like a whole long time. So, I, yeah, I would define that as shortly thereafter. Yeah, I, I, relatively speaking, yes. Right, but I mean, I didn't live I through it well. either. You know what I mean? I mean, I, you know, granted, yeah. I was alive through you know seventy two to seventy seven. I'm just saying that you know I was not actively collecting this title. So, I mean, he may have vivid memories of collecting it in that five-year stretch being a very long time because he was waiting for Batman to come back or something. I don't know. I'm, so, you know, it, it's all in your personal perception of of these sorts of things. To me, they're all just back issues, and so, you know, it doesn't seem, you know, 30 issues doesn't seem like much of a stretch at all, no matter how many years it was. All righty. Uh, next up, we have another one from Jack Perez. It says, for DC Special number 29, I never clued in that Earth 2 wasn't mentioned. Great origin story, yes. A little lopsided in logic, but as a kid, I remember reading this and having my mind blown away. I wonder what your review of the last days of the Justice Society special will be like. <sighs> Sad. Really. <laughs> but... We'll get there. Um, with the whole occult angle, does Paul Levitz call Mike Mignola and scream, where's my money? <laughs> All kidding aside, great review. Great to hear that you guys are going to uh, Adventure Comics and Beyond. This podcast kicks ass and chews bubblegum. And you guys are all out of bubblegum. <laughs> <laughs> that is my favorite movie quote of all time. <laughs> Any chance you guys are going to catch the JSA on Smallville? Hell uh, no. Perfect. Yeah, no, I refuse to. Um, again, Tales of the JSA is great, and I really want to listen to the other letters and more reviews, so please clip my fan letter as you need. You're not a fan, you're a listener. Heck, don't even read this on the show if you don't have to. All right, we won't. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for the invite, too, for your local Comic-Con. Can't make it as I have to freeze in negative 20 Celsius weather. Toronto has two coming up with the large one in March and August. Hope you get to check it out. God, I'd love to go to Canada. Um, cheers, Jack. P.S. Below is the rant. My recent pull list and a review of Batman Brave and the Bold. Uh my rant from earlier DC I'm still buying the new and mainly DC just my preference but come on it's painful right now take a look below and now to wind up Scott Grant Morrison (laughs) I like some of his writing in the past and present I've read some of issues of the current Batman and Robin liked the first three but giving him a complete run on books again uh, Final Crisis, not great. Batman R.I.P. sucked. Don't get me started on DC One Million. And he does some great work, but on the whole continuity of D, but not on the whole continuity of DC. So hands off the Justice League. And in, in in and in the chance that Grant Morrison is reading this or listening to this, you do great work. I read it. I like it. Just not the whole continuity continuity of DC. 
Uh, Final Crisis. Here's the plot. Darkseid goes to Earth to corrupt it and bend it to his will, including all the people and the heroes. He gets very close to it. All the heroes get involved. Hey, there's the same plot as Legends, except there were some more deaths. Literally. (laughs) I'm sure some people could split hair, but the vision of the storyline is the same. Amen. God. Uh, I'm gonna skip. This, I was just uh, gonna say you can't read that uh, next one. No, no, I'm not. I'm gonna skip the next one. Sorry, but uh, uh, the current state of Superman. Guess what? The current issue of Superman's 696 stars who again? Not Superman. He hasn't appeared at all for some freaking time. Who has the gall to do that? You can understand maybe a one-off story, but a whole run? Love to see Marvel trying to do that with Spider-Man and say that they're being innovative and fans going along with it. My wife would freak out if a Bridget Jones movie came out without a story starring the character Bridget Jones. The current whole, uh, the current world of New Krypton detracts from the whole notion of Superman. The whole myth of Superman is that he is the last son of Krypton, raised by the Kent and leads by example for all of humanity. New now Kryptonians are everywhere. That kills the premise and the myth of Superman. And from a business standpoint, it, this dilutes the brand. One of the reasons why there hasn't been an Elseworlds book for a while, especially on Superman, is that the direction from DC is not to dilute the brand of Superman, Batman, or Wonder Woman, the Trinity. You should be able to understand the character of Superman without even reading the comic. You trust it just by reputation alone. Can anyone do that with Superman now? So DC wrecked the myth and the brand of Superman. Ball for trying new stories and growing characters, but not at destroying the foundation. So I'm digging back to all the comics I missed out on and was really interested in. So after Secret Society of Supervillains, I'm dibbing, digging back to World's Finest from number 174. Uh, you want to hear Scott and I talk about Superman? Head on over to viewsfromthelongbox.com. <laughs> wow. Three hours. And I was just Lots getting started. Su- yeah. <laughs> Here's my current pull list, JSA All-Stars. Pulled this twice now. I don't care about Magog and the whole edgy booty fighting thing. If I wanted that, I would have read Spawn. (laughs) But the second issue had some high weirdness at the end, so I'm going to let it run for the book. And Power Girl seems like Power Girl. Buck Rogers. Holy crap. Future space adventure with some great Kirby-esque moments. Not an homage or a rip, but just great. That has more movement in a story than three issues of any other books currently. And it knows when not to take itself seriously. You are, you're reading Buck Rogers, aren't you? I'm about to start reading it, yeah. I just got the uh, the first seven issues were sent to me by uh, uh, Tony Guagliardo. Uh, who goes by Mobile Home on the forum, and I'm very excited to get caught up on that book. So, yeah, I'll be reporting back on that. But I had originally read the first two issues and really dug it and had been lamenting the fact that I didn't stick with it. So, you know, he, uh, by sending those books to me, I'm going to be able to catch up on it now, and uh, and I think I'm going to follow it. I think I'm going to add it to my poll list. Uh, Green Lantern Corps, Green Lantern. That's it from the whole Blackest Night continuity. I like Green Lantern, and guess what? Green Lanterns are in the comic books, unlike issues of Superman. <laughs> Secret Six. It's addictive. Highly recommended. But guess what? Not heroic. And this is what is so depressing about DC. They currently treat the, treat the word hero like a four-letter word. That's a damn it, good book right there, Secret Six. Uh, Adventure Comics. I picked it up for the Legion fillers. The latest issue doesn't have the Legion. Hey, I just saved some money. Hey, I like that book. I really like what they did with Superboy. It was kind of awesome. 
Heard some parents talking about their kids. As a parent outside of Ben 10, I recommend Batman Brave and the Bold. It has everything in it for a comic geek dad to spot while their kids enjoy it. It's campy with some scary scenes, so make sure it's age-appropriate. Owlman from Earth 3 makes an appearance. For one episode, the bands listed in a punk club are the Inferior 5, the Fearsome 5, the Metal Men, the Injustice Gang, the Great 10, etc. <laughs> so thank you, Jack. That was a good letter. I like that one. Yes, it was. All right, we've got. I love the. Yeah, I love the the header on this one. It says "Random Ramblings of an Avid Listener" from Sean Foster. He says, "Greetings, Scott and Mike. I thought I'd drop a line to the fine folks behind the one podcast I truly look forward to each Friday evening." Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. He says, "I just want to know what podcast." Yeah, what? What, 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 to yeah, what is this podcast? <laughs> I am an ass. Every episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America has been a learning experience. He's learning what nuts we are. Furthermore, it has truly opened this comic reader's eyes to the joys of back issues from the 1970s and 1980s. Even as you are beginning to move into the second half of the JSA's mid-70s revival, I have begun efforts to secure my own copies of the All-Star Squadron, all so I can continue reading, uh, continue to read along with the podcast. That is excellent. And you are, yeah, you are going to like that series. I, I can virtually guarantee it. <clears throat> he says, as part of my efforts to further educate myself on the JSA and its retconned affiliates, the All-Star Squadron and the Young All-Stars, I purchased volumes two through four of the All-Star Companion series. Oh, I envy him. See, I bought the first one as that shop in Noonan was going out of business. I got it for $2, and so now I'm spoiled. I want the other volumes for $2, and those things are expensive. I have the first two. I really want three and four badly. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to read. Someone send it to us. <laughs> no, <I'm just> kidding. <laughs> he goes on to say, I must say uh, that they have not only broadened my knowledge of the JSA, but they uh, have whet my appetite for your upcoming coverage of the All-Star Squadron. I hardly recommend them to anyone interested in the history of the JSA. In addition to the All-Star Companions, I'm also on a quest to get my hands on a copy of the JSA source book written in 2001 for West End Games DC Universe uh, RPG. Apparently it contains some new JSA All-Star Squadron Young All-Stars art done exclusively for that book. Unfortunately, tracking down a copy is proving easier said than done. Would I be a jerk if I said I have a copy? Yes, you I also have a copy of the uh, Mayfair games. Uh, Our World's at War, Our World at War uh, source book. Oh, wow. That has all of the Golden Age characters. So you answered my question, because yeah. that's what I was going to ask you, if you've ever heard of this book. So apparently you have heard of it. Yeah, it, it's it's got a sweet Tom Grummet cover. Tom Grummet does a lot of the artwork in it, too. Of the JSA, it's just so awesome. <laughs> really is. Yes. Now, before I end this electronic missive, uh, there's an idea I'd like to share with you. One that I know is highly unlikely to ever happen, but if it did, 
I think it would be a really good read. All-Star Squadron slash Invaders with Roy Thomas as the writer and either Jerry Ordway or George Perez providing the pencils. Tell me you wouldn't buy that book in a heartbeat. Until next time, Sean Foster. And, you know, I'd be all over that. And there's even some other artists that uh, that I think would be excellent on that. Some like Rich Buckler, um, Rick Hoberg. I'm trying to think of some of the other guys that I think would be really good on that. But uh, oh, you know uh, uh, Tony uh, uh, Dizaniga, mm-hmm. um, Michael Bear. Love his stuff on uh, on Infinity Inc. Um, yeah, I mean, there's Frank Robbins. Uh, no. Not so much. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. that was me trying to. Oh, I know, I know. I know. Uh, see what I got to put uh, up with, people. You see what I got to put up, and then you wonder why I'm a grumpy son of a bitch all the time. I just thought that was you naturally. Oh, yeah, so. it is pretty much, yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I, yeah, like he says, it probably never happened. But I think it's a cool idea. I, I'd love to see something like that. The only, probably, the only problem with something like that though is that the all all star squadron outnumbers the invaders like fifty to one. You know, <laughs> because the. <this is laughs> <Yeah. something more laughs> but Captain America could take out like half of them. Anyway, this is true. So that's okay. This is true. Did you really think the Jester is going to fight? He's going to fight Cap and win. Only if Cap doubles over laughing and passes out. But I tell you, for for a taste of something sorta kind of like that, check out. Um, I believe it was titled "Batman Captain America" by oh, John yeah. Byrne. Uh-huh. A hell of a lot of fun. Takes place in the forties, and it's a it's a team up basically between the Golden Age Batman and the Golden Age Captain America, and it's really really cool. And I particularly liked the ending to the story. And I yes, don't want to give it a away. great last yeah, page. Yeah, but it's a fantastic last page and just a heck of a lot of fun. So, yeah, that, that could co- so, kind of sort of give you a little taste of what something like that could be. All righty. We have our second to last email from Victor Watcher or Wachter. I'm sorry, Victor. I apologize for that. And his is titled Torrents. Hey guys, I just listened to episode 12 of Tales of the JSA and was interested in your discussion of comic book torrents. I wanted to let you know that over the past year there has been a series of torrents entitled More Than Complete DC. As the name implies, it is every issue of DC Comics that has ever been scanned, which would obviously include Steel the Indestructible Man. On the same topic of torrents and CBR files, I wanted to tell you that I have a project of my own. I just bought complete runs of All-Star Squadron, Infinity Incorporated, Young All-Stars, both Justice Society series from the early 90s, and JSA, as well as Stars and Stripe, Starman, Jack Knight, the Adventure Comics run of JSA, and pretty much all of the JSA minis and one-shots, and plan to scan them for high-res copies. The only thing I'm missing is All-Star itself, which I do have in trade paperback. Once I recover from the cash I laid out for these, mm-hmm. I'll keep going with JSA and Golden Age members like Spectre, Dr. Fate, Hawkman, Only Carter Hall, and Our Man, maybe even the Will Payton Starman, though that's more of a tenuous connection. Do it anyways! I love that series. Uh, most of these have been scanned already, but several years ago. A higher resolution and a little color correction makes these look awesome while retaining the pulpy paper look on the older issues. Once I am done... 
I'd be happy to bundle them up in a torrent for you and send a DVD. Sweet. Good man. You also mentioned how anyone reading DC Special number 29 might have no idea about Earth 2 and could be confused by the characters. I totally feel you here. My first exposure to the JSA was in DC Blue Ribbon Digest, and I was baffled. (laughs) The Flash wore a funny hat. Superman's cousin was calling herself Power Girl. The only green on Green Lantern was in his pants. I wonder if he's confused by the Pope. He wears a funny hat. <laughs> As Dennis Miller said, you just turned him upside down. You got the little ditch digger thing going <laughs> on. Uh, at that young age, I thought that maybe these were store brand superheroes, and Barry Allen and Hal Jordan were the name brand product. <laughs> <laughs> Alan Scott is the Malta meal. <laughs> uh, I don't make fun of Malta meal. The uh, Fruit Loops are rather good. But don't be put off by that statement. I know the truth now. And I was surprised you didn't mention the upcoming JSA appearance in Smallville. We're not going to talk ah, about it. Jesus Christ, Smallville, Smallville, Smallville. Uh, in the trailer, Clark unveils a beautiful painting of the entire team. I can re- recall seeing Star Spangled Kid and Hour Man in it, and then I hope is released as a poster at some point. Actually, I just read on the Superman homepage that the artist is selling the original. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, don't have the money for that. Who is the artist uh, the next, on that? Do you know? Uh, I forget his name. I would have to go over to the Super Bowl page. Right. By the next episode of your podcast, the show will have aired, and I will be interested to hear your thoughts. The photos show that there will be a Hawkman Green Arrow confronta- uh, confrontation, which is just as it should be. Hawkman looks great, and Dr. Fate looks pretty good, but Stargirl looks like her costume is made of Old Navy performance fleece. Though I finally gave up Smallville last season. Seven seasons enough is enough for just about any show. I'm really excited for this episode. Anyway, thanks for the podcast. Always looking forward to the next one, Victor. I'd love those torrents, personally. Mm-hmm. That's just me. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to check into that because I just... Uh, I can't remember who it was. One of our listeners, and I apologize that I can't remember who it was hooked me up with a new BitTorrents client because I was bitching about the fact that the last time I reformatted my computer um, when I got everything all reinstalled and operating again, for some reason, my BitTorrent client, I lost the ability to take a portion of a BitTorrent. For example, like say you were downloading a pack of comics. I used to be able to go through it and say, okay, I only want that issue and this issue, and that's it. I don't want the whole, you know, friggin', like, five gigabyte thing. For some reason, I lost that ability. And uh, and one of our listeners hooked me up with a new client that not only have I regained that ability, but that thing is lightning fast. I mean, just, I could not believe how fast it it went now. So, yeah, I'll I'll definitely be checking into uh, some of these projects because I've I've already got oodles and oodles and oodles of CBR. So it would really just be, you know, cherry picking stuff that I I haven't yet acquired. And I'd, I'd love to do that. All right. We got what's one more? Yes. All right. This one is from Michael... Oh, wait. I don't want to give that away yet, do I? No. Okay. This one... Uh, did you want to read this one? Because you were really excited about this one. Okay. I- I'll go ahead and read it. I, I really was. Um, just because of... Uh, just because of who who, who it's from. Uh, it says, uh, All-Star Comments. Hi, Michael and Scott. I'm hungry. 
I was planning to download your latest Tales of the JSA podcast, number 13, then leave the house to go eat. However, I foolishly started the episode first. Now it's been more than two hours, and I still haven't eaten yet. It was so entertaining, I didn't want to hit the pause button. That's, that's nice. Eat. Papa, eat. Uh, I've only recently discovered podcasts and listened to a couple of previous episodes. The tales of the JSA series interest me far more than the others. I really like these characters, even though I'm not a big fan of the era, 1970s, which you are currently covering. I cut my comic book teeth on Roy Thomas's All-Star Squadron material, so I can't wait for you to reach that time period. My first exposure to the JSA was in JLA number 184, the first Perez issue and second part of the three-part JSA crossover in 1980. I didn't get parts one or three until years later. Even with only the middle section of a two-three-part story, my seven-year-old self had no problems comprehending the alternate versions of the JLA. It makes me sad that writers and editors had so much trouble keeping things straight. I realize that your podcast is not designed to be all-inclusive review of the JSA appearances. However, I just wanted to mention that at the same time the JSA was appearing in the revived All-Star comics, they were also appearing regularly in another title, Wonder Woman. When the Wonder Woman TV show debuted, the editors at DC moved the Wonder Woman comic back to World War II, and Scott Gardner decided that he liked women. Mm -hmm. Sorry. All issues uh, from two... 228 to 243, as well as the Wonder Woman stories in the World's Finest Dollar comic, are set on Earth 2 and frequently guest star the JSA and its members. These WW stories are also notable for the debuts of eventual All-Star Squadron opponents Kung, say that carefully, uh, Sumo the Samurai, and the arch-villain Baron Blitzkrieg. If you have no plans to cover this material, I think it at least deserves a mention. If not, if it has not received one already, sorry I haven't listened to every episode. Also, uh, it was the debut of uh, the Red Panzer, who I like to call the Red Pansy, of course. <laughs> of course you do. But, yeah. Next time I listen to one of your episodes, I should take some notes. I remember having some comments on several topics, but now many of them escape me. I do remember some hatred, strong dislike for Johnny Thunder. That would be me. (laughs) I admit that I used to share this opinion. In general, I hate comic relief characters, which is how Johnny was frequently used. Doiby Dickles, Flash's Three Dimwits, Winky, Blinky, and Naughty, and Percival Pop have always annoyed me. With Johnny, though, I was able to read the early adventures of his strip in Flash comics. Although the artwork is primitive and often downright awful, the writing was actually much better than most of the other superheroes of that time, excepting Marston's Wonder Woman stories, which I think are are the best of that era. Johnny's stories contain some actual progression, which would also alter his status quo. This was rare for the Golden Age, where few stories actually impacted the character in any lasting regard. Because of these stories, I actually began to like Johnny for the first time. But still not my favorite, I now find him more interesting than the bland Mr. Terrific or Dr. Midnight. Good luck with the show. It sounds like you guys are having a good time. Yes, we are. Uh-huh. One of these days, I might try one myself. Time to get some food. Finally, regard Mike Voyles from Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics. That's awesome. Yes. I am glad that he is listening. He, he's probably not anymore. He's probably starved to death long ago, which is really <laughs> sad when you think about it. But, uh, yeah, that's amazing. For our little that, show. That's, that's totally cool that he was listening to us. So I hope he... Yeah, especially since we use his site so often. We do. 
I'm not sure who owes who money now. Where we owe him or he owes us or it's Wash or what. But yeah, that's that's totally cool. Well, hey, that was the last email, right? Yes. All right. Yes, indeed. Well, now we can move into the main event. Into the ding uh, ding ding. <laughs> yeah. Into the. Oh man, this is this has been kind of a wacky wacky recording evening for me. Yes, it has, but a good one. Hey, it is a good one. I'm having a blast. All right, so we are going to look at tonight DC Comics DC Superstars number seventeen. This is the November December nineteen seventy seven issue. This is just one of those kind of obscure, little-known, little-talked-about series. I mean, I off the top of my head couldn't even tell you what happened in other issues of DC Superstars. Just one of those kind of like catch-all titles. But this one's really cool because it has three... This is actually um, a Secret Origins of Superheroes issues. This all-new collection of and featured three origin stories. The first one was a really nice little tale with uh, Denny O'Neill and just absolutely incredible artwork by Mike Grell. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's gorgeous. Um, this is recounting the origin of Green Arrow, Oliver Queen. And uh, I just kind of breezed through it because um, I'm really not much on Green Arrow. But, boy, the art can just win you over on them. Man, it's just beautiful stuff. I mean, I, I love me some Mike Grell anyway, but uh, wow, really outdid himself on that. Um, there's also a, a Secret Origins tale of the Legion of Superheroes by Jack C. Harris with art by uh, Juan Ortiz, inks by Bob Smith. This is a really neat one too, but uh, <laughs> again, I only kind of breezed through this one because I am just so... I've heard the Legion origin story 20 gazillion times, so (laughs) how much more can they really add to this? But uh, surprisingly, there actually is a bit of a twist ending to the story in this. So that that was actually pretty cool. But what we're here for, what you're here for, what you care about tonight is a story, the last story in here, called From Each Ending, A Beginning, The Secret Origin of the Huntress. This is written by Paul Levitz with art by Joe Staten and Bob Layton. And uh, first off, I got to say the cover on this issue, absolutely beautiful. It's a Joe Staten and Bob Layton cover, and it has Green Arrow and Cosmic Boy, Saturn Girl, and Lightning Lad walking into a doorway and being surprised that here's the Huntress standing there big as life and it looks looks like she's been rifling through a file cabinet full of uh, you know folders containing the secret origins of all these characters and they're just looking at her like hey we busted you red handed kind of thing but it's just a gorgeous picture and man does Staten draw just an absolutely beautiful woman I mean she just looks gorgeous I really really like this cover mm-hmm. inside just before we get to the story there's an entire page devoted to how the that cover was created, you know, from from a original sketch of the Huntress to an outline to what the cover would look like to the uh, final finished product itself. It's really neat. You know, DC didn't do a whole lot of stuff like that, like Marvel did, but when they did, I always enjoyed features like that. You know, on, on how they created. It's actually reminiscent of that. 
inside back cover of Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man, how they showed you know the the origin of of that cover too. Anyway, the story starts out, and we have the uh, a really nice splash page that shows the marriage of the Earth Two Batman, Bruce Wayne to Selina Kyle, the Earth 2 Catwoman. And it kind of recaps how that all came about. You know, that they they were enemies that fought each other and when uh, Catwoman finally surrendered to the police and did her time, that Bruce Wayne was waiting for her when she you know, was let out of prison a free woman. And they married and not too long later they had a daughter, uh, Helena. And there's a little bit of a mention about Dick Grayson, you know, how he grew older and grew into manhood and everything, but kept his, you know, on this earth anyway, kept his Robin identity. And the story goes along and we see, you know, a nice family scene with the Waynes and, you know, they've gotten older and grayer and everything and Helena's grown up into a young woman and there's a uh, phone call and... Selena Kyle or Selena Wayne by this point, Bruce Wayne's wife, answers the phone and she's taken aback by whatever is being said on the other end. So we see her, she takes a car out from Wayne Manor, drives out to the middle of nowhere, where she meets up with this guy. Silky Cernak is his name. <laughs> I love that. And he basically says, Hey, how's it going, Catwoman? I need you to do one last uh job for me. And she smacks him and says, you know, how dare you, you know, that, you know, suggest that she'll involve herself with any crimes or anything. She's finished with all that. You know, she's put her life as the Catwoman behind her. She's a reformed, respectable woman now and all this and blah, blah, blah. And he whips out a photo showing her as Catwoman fleeing a crime scene in which she has wrapped her cat of nine tails whip around the throat of it looks like he's either a security guard or a policeman and left him to die and she's horrified by this that she actually did kill somebody while out committing a crime as Catwoman and of course she doesn't want you know her family traumatized by this she doesn't want to go back to prison or anything so she reluctantly agrees to whatever uh, Silky's plan is that one last time she'll be the Catwoman meanwhile at Wayne Manor uh, Bruce Wayne and his daughter Helena they see the bat signal that uh, someone is trying to summon Robin and Bruce goes out uh, what does it say Dick is oh he's on foreign service duty in Madagascar so he's not Dick Grayson's not around to answer the call so Bruce Wayne although he's supposed to be retired dresses up as Batman he goes to answer the call and he goes to Commissioner Gordon's office and Gordon's like you know thanks for answering the call and everything and he tells him that they got a, a tip that there's going to be this midnight raid at the Gotham Civic Center. We cut to the Gotham Civic Center where Selina Kyle has reluctantly resumed her, her um, uh, Catwoman guys and she's leading this band of similarly attired men. You know, they're all dressed like pussycats. They look kind of silly, really, but it's, it's still pretty yes. awesome just the way it's drawn. They're, they're basically like a cat gang, and they're all breaking in. What are they? They're robbing the place or something? I forget what, what's going on. Yeah, I think they're... Uh... Oh, yeah, that's it. Rare gems. Rare gems of the Gotham exhibit. Yeah, that's what they're... They're there to steal some stuff. So as they're doing that, suddenly Batman breaks in, and some gunfights, you know, some gunplay uh, is had, and a gunfight breaks out, 
and Selena is shot, and she falls from the uh, what is this fifth floor that they're on, falls to the ground below, and she dies in Batman's arms. And at the funeral, you know, Bruce is just he's devastated by this he's absolutely torn up and selena is equally torn up but also she for whatever reason determines that you know she's going to to seek answers on this i i think what it is she doesn't really buy that you know her mother had just resumed a life of crime or that she had maintained a life of crime that something had happened to to drive her to this so she goes out and through a series of investigations she basically puts the the pieces of the puzzle together she eventually confronts silky cernak and coerces a confession out of him that it was all a setup that it was a doctored photo that her mother really was innocent and that you know this guy basically caused her to to be killed and at the end of it, we get a scene where uh, basically she wraps up Silky kind of like Spider-Man style and leaves him at the uh, the police headquarters. And the next day, as uh, Bruce Wayne and Helena are walking by in their regular civilian identities, they, they see him tied up there. And Bruce speculates that maybe Dick came back to town from Madagascar and just hadn't gotten, him in, con- gotten in contact with him yet. And Helena speculates that uh, she has a feeling that somebody new might be in town. And uh, that's pretty much where the story ends. And I got to say, I love this story. Yes. I think that this is... Oh, yes. You know, it's, it's not only is it a fantastic story, a fantastic read... This is one of the best, you know, at, at this time would have been modern, new origin stories for a character. But also, I, I just thought Huntress, this version of Huntress, the Earth 2 daughter of Batman, was, I think it's just, she's a great character. I thought she was a really solid addition to the, the DC universe. Always really enjoyed her. But this origin is just, it's really fantastic because the best origin stories for members of the of the Batman family to me always come when they either involve gunplay or a parent falling from a great height. And in this one, you get both. She gets shot and then she falls from a great height. It's awesome. So, yeah, it's a lot of tragedy. You get the uh, the great, great scene of this shadow that appears to be bad. That's That was the, uh, the other cool thing about uh, the Huntress is that, you know, at this time when she was the daughter of Batman, there were a lot of times where she was drawn in shadow and she could totally pull off the Bat Shadow to where it looked like Batman, but it was actually her. And there's a great, you know, the first time we see her as the Huntress in this story, we're actually seeing the, the shadow of the Bat standing at Selena uh, Wayne's grave. And then the next shot is, you know, where we see it's actually not Batman at all. It's the Huntress swearing at her mother's grave that, you know, she'll, you know, find justice for her mother. Basically, you know, she'll bring the killer to justice. I love that. You know, it's, it's a total callback to Batman's origin and it's, it's fantastic. I really, really like this incarnation of this character and, and this origin story and it's all the art in this. It's just gorgeous. I like I, I just like the whole setup. Mm-hmm. I, I've said this before on the show that that I, I love the fact that you know on Earth two more things are possible. You know, right. you can 
you know, characters can get married, characters can die, etc. But there is something about the Golden Age Batman that, ho- as a concept that holds a great deal of appeal to me, and I have to actually put all the blame for that at the feet of John Byrne mm-hmm. and his work in Generations. Yes. Um, you know, I, j- I just like the concept of seeing a Batman, you know, who hasn't quite 100% given up being Batman, but at the same time, he's, you know, he's gotten married to Catwoman, which just is one of those things that always makes sense. You know, Vicki Vale, Julie Madison, even Talia, all great female foils for Batman. I honestly think that Catwoman should be Batman's lowest lane. Right. He should, she should be the great love. And in this one, we see them fighting, and I really like that old Catwoman outfit. Mm-hmm. It's hot. It is. But, uh, you know, but she gives a, she gives herself up, because if I'm remembering this correctly, the only reason she was Catwoman in the first place is she was caught in some kind of explosion and went kind of crazy for a while, and eventually got over that and paid for her sins and we see you know at the bottom of page two of this story of her running out of gotham penitentiary into the turtlenecked arms <laughs> of uh, of bruce wayne probably really excited to see a man for the first time in, in quite some time and you gotta think of the scandal of bruce wayne marrying selena kyle of the wealthy socialite ma- marrying the ex-con. There's a story in that somewhere. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know where it is, but then but you get to see, you know, you see Robin growing up and putting on his uh, Lone Ranger mask. <laughs> uh, but you see, you know, I, I guess this is uh, this is Helena at the at the bottom of page three at her debutante ball. Mm-hmm. And then just the extreme sadness of this story. That the only reason she agreed to perpetrate this crime was to protect her family. And Batman blames himself for her death. And it's just, God, that's tragic. Mm -hmm. It almost makes you want to cry because of just how sad the whole idea is. And it's just—it's neat seeing this version of Batman. It's—it's it's neat seeing the introduction of, of Huntress, and you know her motivation being so strong. Joe Staten's artwork is amazing. It's just start to finish. I love this story. Love capital love this story. I do too. I do too. I really like. I say I always, always had a real soft spot for this character, and uh, it's going to be exciting to see her. You know, in uh, you know, from here on, she actually joins the uh, the All Star comics. You know, the, the the family in those stories and becomes part of the team. And I think she's a great yes. addition. I think she's a solid, very much so. addition to that. Yeah. And her backup stories were very good as well. Yeah, in uh, in Wonder Woman, you mean? The Wonder yeah, Woman? even even though there was one very very creepy aspect to them <laughs> later in the run. But we'll get to that. Yeah, we will. To talk about those stories. Covering those. uh, Wow. Yeah. You you thought Luke and Leia was creepy. (laughs) (laughs) We do have. Oh, that's right. I went and put it away, and we do. We have ads. Hostess ads. Oh, yeah. See, 
all of the ads in this are the same ads as we read last week, but the hostess ad would change, I guess, by the week or by the book. And we have one, so we're not going to be discussing the other ads because we've already talked about them. But, man, we can't pass up talking about some hostess. <laughs> and uh, Scott's going to be getting together with me in another couple of weeks uh, for my birthday, so we're hoping to get we're, we're hoping to share some Hostess fruit pies or Twinkies <laughs> or cupcakes. Or, what do you prefer? In all honesty, oh, I, I don't eat any of this stuff. It's bad for you. <laughs> well, I know, but if you were gonna if you were gonna pick out something to eat, if I was gonna eat a Hostess product, though, I'd, I'd have to be a classic Twinkie, though. Seriously, see, Twinkies won't kill you as fast. I've come to that conclusion. But those fruit pies. Are five hundred calories a piece? Yes, they're they're not good for you. They're all. good. Oh, they're delicious. Yeah, but they're yeah. Especially if you pop that bad boy in the microwave for about twenty seconds, get the filling good and hot, get a good cold glass of milk. <laughs> Anyways, we have Wonder Woman in Kooky Lamu on Broadway. All right, folks, uh, we've talked about weird. Uh, hostess ads. We've talked about strange. This one's just surreal. You know, it's hard to top Iceberg Head, but yes. this one comes mighty friggin' close to at least being as weird as high Iceberg Head. Alrighty, so Times Square. Steve Trevor, posing for a publicity photo, accidentally touches the wrong wire and creates a short circuit on a huge electric poster. Kuki Lamu, the movie star, electric sign strangely comes to life and becomes Kuki Lamu, grotesque movie star, 60 feet tall, and goes berserk. So she grabs Steve, Steve Trevor, who she goes, I'm a big star, Steve Howard. You be my press agent. Help! Cookie Lamu's escaped from the movie side. She's gone crazy. Ah! Aye! Suffering Sappho. It's my darling Steve. Why did she call him Steve Howard when his name is Steve Trevor? Something happened with Steve Trevor in these pre-crisis Wonder Woman things where he died like 15 times or something <laughs> and kept changing identities. And I mean, I won't pretend to understand it, but yeah, I, I do know that his name changed from time to time. Suffering Staffo. 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 <laughs> Suffering staff infection. Um, Suffering Sappho. It's my darling Steve. As they say in the comics, this is a job for Wonder Woman. But really, flexing her slender, sinewy muscles. Wow. <laughs> Wonder Woman flex, spins, flex. Her ma- <laughs> spins her magic lasso. Before the lasso can do its magic, Kuki pulls Wonder Woman up to her. This is no way for a movie star to behave. Think of your image, dear. Yes, my image. Now's my chance. Kookie, have a Twinkie snack cake from Hostess. Who can resist that golden sponge cake with creamed filling? Come up and see me again with more Twinkie snack cakes. Happy Hermes. My lasso still has its head. <laughs> it sure looks like Happy Herpes if you look at it really quick. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> and Twinkie's snack cakes are still delicious on or off Broadway. Cookie Lamu, when you're nice, we love you. And Twinkie's snack cakes, we always love you. Smile! <laughs> you get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Twinkie snack cakes. What the hell is. Go- <laughs> oh my god. Wow! 
Kooky Lamu. Kooky Lamu. Oh, my goodness. A billboard that comes to life. I will say this, though, about about this thing. Uh, I don't know who did the artwork for this. I think it's Kurt Swan. Yeah, this looks like Kurt Swan and possibly Dick Giordano, maybe? I'm not sure. Wonder Woman looks a lot like the... No, you know what? G.I. Joe. I think it's Kurt Swan and Vinnie Coletta. Probably. But, uh... Wonder Woman as Diana Prince looks a lot like uh, the Baroness from G.I. <laughs> and uh, that's hot. Mm-hmm. As was proven last night when I finally got to see G.I. Joe The Rise of Cobra. The Baroness is usually very attractive. So, <laughs> Of course, I liked the raven-haired bespectacle girls too, so I married one. So there you mm-hmm. go. God, that was fucking weird. <laughs> You're a prevert. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. You got a fifty, uh, sixty foot tall woman, right? Mm-hmm. And she's wearing a dress. Yeah, I'm looking up it. Are you, yeah, okay. There you go. But how would you really want to be close to the sixty foot tall naked woman? Really? I mean, think about it for a second. <laughs> yeah, I would. Okay. Okay. Do you want a vagina as tall as you? Sure. <laughs> what guy doesn't? Uh, wow, I learn new stuff about you every week we do this show. What's, so what So what else do we got this week? Is that it? No, it is not. We have okay. one of the awesomest, stupidest ads ever in the back, on the very back cover of this. This is oh, yes. AAU Shoes. Now, I don't even know what the hell AAU Shoes were. I don't remember ever seeing these when I was a kid. I don't know. Maybe it's just They probably were up. sold at, like, Kmart. Yeah, exactly. This is AAU Superstar flattens his arch enemy, the menacing mistletoe. <laughs> Okay, I'll take missiles. Okay. I have enough tomain poisoning in my missiles to destroy the world. And I'll get a real boot out of defeating the AAU Superstar. He's the AAU Superstar swoops in out of the sky. Swooshes in his says, I'll, st- I'll stomp out the evil in the heart and soul of mistletoe. I'll use my AAU shoes to destroy tomain poison. <laughs> the world will not die at the hands or toe of this arch villain. A burst of energy lights up the sky as the AAU superstar battles the hard callist mistletoe. The jig is up, mistletoe, and so is the jog. In my AAU shoes, I can run all the heels out of the world. <laughs> I'll make you vanish. Shoo, shoo, shoo. And then he kicks him in the face. <laughs> Be gone, evil soul. He really laced into me. My power is weakening. My toe is all uptight. My missiles are missing. Oh, I'm disappearing step by step, vanishing into thin air. Kiss my foot, mistletoe. You'll never poison the good souls of this earth again. And then he got Congratulate- two kids. Yeah. I'm sorry. He got two kids that are looking up at him in just awe and amazement. Congratulations, AAU Superstar. You and your AAU shoes have saved the world. Oh, my God. Wear AAU shoes and be a superstar. Available at fine department, shoe, and specialty stores everywhere. Um, okay. 
outside of the obvious, wow, this is messed up. Does it look like he's about to rape Mistletoe on that Oh, that's just wrong. You know what it does look like, though? When he comes... Yeah, you didn't answer my question. Uh, I'm not not touching that one. (laughs) (laughs) In that second panel, when he comes flying out of the sky, does that not look like a Wayne Boring Superman right there? Yes, it (laughs) totally does. But, man, he kicks him right in the face. He sure does. Those were probably the cheapest shoes on the face. (laughs) I'm thinking they're like Walmart shoes, or I mean uh, Kmart shoes. Yeah, there, there, there's no, there's no, you know, arch support. It, it's like made of like really thin material. You run two feet and it falls completely apart. He's got a cool looking <sighs> costume though. I like that. I like the giant AAU USA logo on his chest. Somebody needs to cosplay as this guy next year. Oh my Dragon god, Con. that would be a great costume to go to to something like Dragon Con as the AAU superstar. And, like, three people would know who you are. <laughs> well, it's like when I went to Metropolis and some dude dressed up like uh, Captain Avenger from Hero at yeah, Large. Now, see, I love that movie, and I don't even know that I would recognize that. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's been so long since I've seen that movie, I, I, I'd be hard-pressed to remember what that outfit looks like now. A.A.U. Superstar. Oh, my God. Folks, we read these for you. We just want you to know that. (laughs) If that sounded like a guilt trip, that's because it was. Pack your bags. (laughs) Well, I think, if I'm not mistaken, that leaves just the reprint recap. And, from what I could determine, portions of DC Superstars number 17 were reprinted in... Batman in the 70s, trade paperback from 2000. I'm assuming that that's the Huntress story. DC Special Blue Blue Ribbon Digest, number 23 from 1980. I suspect that that's probably only the Green Arrow story because DC Special Blue Ribbon Digest, number 23, is an all-Green Lantern issue. Or, excuse me, Green... Did I say Green Arrow? Green uh, Green Arrow? I don't know. The Green Guy. And uh, I'm tired, if you can't tell. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, also, the Huntress Dark Knight Daughter trade paperback from 2006. I'm hunting this, by the way. And if anybody has one on the cheap that they want to get rid of, let me know. Because I would... What, what, the trade? Yeah. Yeah, I I bought it when it came out. Yeah, I've been uh, been trying to score one. uh, Really, I really want to get it on the cheap, if at all possible. And uh, but yeah, it looks interesting because not only does it have this story, but then it's got all the uh, the backups from like Wonder Woman and stuff. And I'm having trouble putting my hand to all of those. I only need a couple more to. Those are collect. so hard to find. They are. Man, those are hard to find. Yeah, they are. And I, I only need just a few more to complete my collection. But I'm I'm getting to a point where I'm just like I just take them in the you know in a trade or something now because I, I really don't care about the Wonder Woman stories at all. I just want the backup. And I mean the. Huntress backup's only a couple of pages, so it, it comes down to, you know, if, if i got to spend the money, I'm almost better off buying it in the, in the collected edition, really. So, But, yeah, I think that's about it for this one. What do you think? I think we got another one wrapped up. Sweet. You've been listening to Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey. 
You can email the show by writing to tales of the JSA at gmail.com. You can find the show at two, yes, count them, two websites. The first being www.fortressofbailey2.com. You can also find the show and subscribe to it through iTunes at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. Scott has two other podcasts that he co-hosts on a weekly basis. The first is Two True Freaks, which Scott hosts with his childhood friend and former weightlifting partner of Lou Ferrigno, Chris Honeywell. Then there's Back to the Bins, which Scott co-hosts with a cavalcade of podcasting's finest hosts. Both of those can be found at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. Mike has two other podcasts he hosts or co-hosts as well. The first is Views from the Long Box, which Mike hosts all by his lonesome for the most part. And you can find that at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Then there's the From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor. That show can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com. Thank you for listening, and join us next week as we present more Tales of the Justice Society of America. Mm-hmm.